You're listening to Before the Fern Dies with Ashlyn and Wendy. When we think about the word mythology, we often go straight to the Greeks and the Romans, the Iliad, the Odyssey, and any number of other stories that we were given in class. We remember being assigned walls of text that we may or may not have understood, and having to discuss them with classmates who also might not have understood. But one aspect we often forget is that these stories were originally shared by living, breathing people and passed on through generations by word of mouth. Of course, written literature transcends time, encapsulating these oral traditions and preserving them to be remembered and revered. We are lit majors, as you know from previous episodes, so yeah, we love reading and the written word. In fact, for us, college was where we expanded our knowledge of what falls under mythology, because it's not just the Greeks and the Romans. Every culture has its own unique way of interpreting the world around them, and more often than not, it's told through story. But we too often forget about the origins of storytelling before humans had the ability to write stories uniformly and distribute them to one another. Oral storytelling has sort of become a lost art in such a technologically modern world. We still see forms of it, like that story of your drunk uncle falling asleep on the treadmill at the Christmas party. Not that I would know about that one. Or how the story of your grandpa's commute to the bus stop gets 20 miles longer every time he lectures you about it. You know the deal. But we seem to have lost the moral weight of it and the individuality that comes with passing on stories by word of mouth. Firstly, because the writing wasn't the medium, there was an urgency to tell these stories with the hopes of passing on and maintaining life lessons and traditions. Without it, people's history and experiences are at risk of being forgotten. As humans, we do not like to be forgotten. Secondly, along with the need to tell stories for future sake, People's personality and even own interpretation of an older story really has a chance to come through. It's like a game of telephone. It's reimagined, retold, and recreated into something new each time a story is passed to a new generation. It takes great skill to tell a story really well. I mean, we're definitely still working on it. It's not the same as reading out loud from a book. Recalling a story from memory leaves room for a unique retelling experience the voices you use, the details added or taken out, but perhaps the most important factor is which stories we actually choose to pass down or share. What makes those ones special? What does that choice say about us as individuals? What does it say about the tradition or culture that the story came from? And how does it speak to the importance of stories overall in human society? For this episode, we wanted to bring that oral storytelling back to life and discuss some of our favorite myths and folktales with all of you. To embrace the tradition, we will be retelling these stories in our own words and discussing them with one another. So let's get started. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Before the Fern Dies for episode seven. Yahoo! Woohoo! <laughs> We're nervous again for some reason. Just like oh, no. a quick... A quick note beforehand, we, for some reason, are tripping about this episode and talking Yeah, today. I don't know. <laughs> We're nervous about this whole storytelling business because it's a big task. Yeah, it's a big task to uh, carry on the old oral tradition. Oh, Lord. Wait. Oh. But 
What what are you going with first? Okay. So I, you know, when we were coming up with this episode, I recently bought this uh, book actually called Navajo Folk Tales by Frank Johnson Newcomb. And um, I was telling you about it and like I opened it up and the first story I looked at was the sun, moon and stars. And I thought, I'm just going to go with this one. I'm going to read it. It feels like, you know, Wendy subconsciously, like, chose it for me as we were chatting about it. And it Did just I? appeared. Yeah, your, your witchiness came through, and it, like, blew open this page for me. Wow. So, Amazing. Um, the reason I'm prefacing it so much is because I don't really know this story that well, so I'm going to have to reference slightly to the actual story okay (laughs) so okay yeah so i guess this is an origin story on the sun moon and stars here we go okay stop stalling so basically what happens is like the people the first people are like we don't have enough daylight up in this earth okay like first woman you need to do something about this so the first woman goes all right all right like, she sends a... Okay, this is my favorite part. She sends a glowworm to the east and told Foxfire to go to the south, lightning beetle to the west, and firefly to the north. And, like, I literally want to draw that and get that tattooed or something because I think that's so wonderful. Um, so, basically, she sends them to the different cardinal directions and they're there for anyone who like needs more light and so she thought okay i fixed the problem but no the first people are like bro no like it's just too dim we can't see anything we're not an owl or a bat or something okay we can't see shit so then she's like oh my god i can never please you but okay so then she goes to fireman and asks him for some help and fireman's like yeah i can help you and he's like he has this idea to um, go on top of, like, a mountain or something and make a bunch of fire, I guess, on top of this mountain that he says will, like, he's like, well, it's going to be really smoky and it's not going to reach, like, to all of the earth, but I'll try. And then the people are like, no, we hate Fire Mountain. Like, the heat is scorching and we're choked by all this smoke. And so, first woman is just like, fuck. <laughs> um, so then, she has this idea, and she sends these wise men or something to go in search of some, like, really sturdy-ass rock, okay? And so, they, like, scrounge the earth for this slab of quartz that they find, right? And it's like this ginormous slab. And then she's like, well, I guess this is large enough to make two round wheels of equal size. Like, two basically, like, dicks or circles or something. Um, And so she gets her, like, people to work on it and they're chipping away at this quartz, right? And then um, the first man pops in and they start decorating these two stones that look like wheels I guess um one is given like 
turquoise to produce light and heat. And um, there's also, like, they also put on, it's like a craft project where they, like, glue on a bunch of feathers, I guess. So then, so the turquoise disc becomes the sun. Um, and then the first one, it's like, bro, this needs to be put in the sky, okay? <laughs> like, it can't just chill here. So then Fireman comes in, and he's like, um, I can help with that, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so he carries the sun to the highest mountain, the tallest peak, so that it can shine over all the land. And he, um, he fastens it to the actual sky with darts of flash lightning, okay? Oh. That's, okay, oh. the new adhesive of the modern age. <laughs> E6000 lightning. lightning. Exactly. Um, and so, anyways, the to continue, okay. The first woman then looks at her other disc and is like, this one, we don't need more light. We don't need that much heat. This one is going to carry coolness and moisture. So she decorates it with a white shell. So then this one's fastened up to the sky with sheet lightning, which... It's not, okay, it's not flash lightning, it's sheet lightning. Just to be Don't clear. get it twisted. Yes. Don't get it twisted. Okay, so now they're up in the sky, um, and so the first people go look at what is done and say, like, wait, this, this is not right, and so they're still complaining. <laughs> and their, their complaint is that the sun, it, it just will stay in the east all the time, and it's always going to be summer, on one side of the world, and then it's always going to be winter on the other side. And so the first man agrees, and he's like, okay, um, but how do you expect it, how do you expect them to move when they don't have a spirit? Okay, fair question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these, these were just, you know, some crafty-ass stones with no life in them, Okay. So, so these very, these super, super duper wise men arrive into the story and they say, we will give our spirits to the sun and the moon so that they can have life and power to move across the sky for the people. And so, um, one enters like the turquoise disc and becomes the sun bearer and the other enters the white disc and is called the moon bearer. Anyways, okay, so now the moon and the, the sun are in the sky, and there's still a bunch of small pieces of the quartz stone everywhere, and, like, all this dust and chippings, and so um, the first woman is like, let's just make them into more lights in the sky, and so um, basically it becomes, like, stardust and the stars. So the first woman basically says that she's going to write the laws of, like, the universe in the stars because, like, the wa- mm. she can't put it in the water because the water's always changing and she can't put it in the sand because it can get blown by the wind. So she'll put it in the stars so that everyone can remember. And so basically she comes up with, like, okay, here's where all the stars are going to go and creates constellations. Um, so the first man, basically, she's like, you need to put these up in the sky. So, the, I'm sorry, the fireman 
she tells this to the fireman and the fireman shoots two of his fiery arrows to create a ladder up to the sky (laughs) um love it yeah and so he's tasked with placing the stars in their proper location and it takes a really long time because first woman has a lot of ideas and she wants all these constellations up in the sky um and okay new character we've got coyote enters the scene (laughs) coyote starts watching fireman and what he's doing and he really wants a star so he's like first woman can i have the star please and she's like okay only if you place it directly over like your own mountain and when it shines really brightly it will like indicate your mating season um and so he puts it over this mountain and it's like coyote mountain okay anyways so (laughs) she continues making constellations and um you've got a constellation that is like governing like the hunting season and the harvesting season um and the story kind of details like the names and how they're created and stuff um okay yes let me just i'm referencing for one sec Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) again if we didn't if we didn't mention this before in true fashion of the oral tradition we are trying to say this from memory so yes (laughs) don't roast us don't roast us please okay but you're doing so great sweetie you're doing great thank you okay so coyote gets really impatient and he's like you need to hurry up with these constellations it's taking way too long let me help you and then first woman's like coyote you like suck like you make mistakes all the time and you cause a lot of trouble and he's like no 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 i promise i'll do exactly as you say so she gives him these identical um stars and she that she calls the twins and she says like i want you to place them in their in their right place so they can walk like hand in hand in the sky and as you know it's gemini um so she he has the two stars in hand and he's going up the ladder but when he looks down he's like fuck it's really high so he gets dizzy he gets dizzy and he's kind of like gonna fall (laughs) and then fucking wind boy comes okay wind boy wind boy comes in and he's whistling by this bastard this wind boy is whistling passing by the ladder and it starts blowing back and forth so coyote's like about to fall off the ladder because oh fucking wind God. boy came anyways he saves himself he doesn't fall but he mixes up the stars and he doesn't know which one's which like where he was supposed to put them oh shit so he finds where they're supposed to go but he doesn't know which one's which so he just closes his eyes and throws them up there <laughs> <laughs> i relate um and then there's like this terrible like grating noise that happens so he knows they're in the wrong place because they they start trying to like pass over each other to get into the can right you, place can you give us um how do you imagine this grating sound to be oh okay i got you covered yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's really bad news. Anyways, to continue. So, um, 
first woman's really pissed. So he comes down the ladder and no. she's like, you idiot. Like, really? These are supposed to establish, like, peace and friendship for all the people. But instead, they will cause strife and dissension and plague for mankind forever. Oh, fuck. She what? Just, yeah, she just laid that hard on Coyote. And he's I, like... He had no idea that was at stake. He... That's a fair point. He had no idea. And he was like, and he told her, he's like, it's not my fucking fault, you know, like, seriously, wind boy fucking came wind boy. and he almost blew me off. It's not oh my, my fault. Oh my fucking God. Okay. So she's just like, never again, go away, right? And she continues making all these constellations that until, like, she basically makes nearly every animal, bird, and insect in a star constellation counterpart in the sky. Okay. So then there's all this, like, there's still, like, leftover parts. And basically, uh, Fireman is like, fuck it. I'm just gonna, like, throw these up in chunks because it's just gonna take too long. So he just grabs chunks, chunks of them and, like, throws the stardust up in the air. Um, and then Coyote is like, hey, let me get in on that. And, like, swings oh. the blanket up and, like, you know kind of tosses all that's rest all all the rest of it up into the sky and it becomes mm-hmm. the milky way so at least he did something good okay cool um, i was really nervous yeah like i think he redeemed himself so so okay we're finally nearing the end of story here so basically first woman is satisfied the first people are satisfied and she's like now all the people will have all the laws written into the sky um the commands they're written in the stars and they will be obeyed forever. So she's satisfied. Um, it is said that now, like, with the Navajo people, only Navajo medicine men know the constellations and can explain the laws that they represent. I guess that's mm. just the current the times. <laughs> Anyways, that was the end. Thank you. Give oh yourself, clap for yourself, too, fool. <sighs> okay, sorry. There we go. Good job. Good job. Yeah, okay, sorry. That, that was there's a, little, a lot to unpack here. A lot to <laughs> unpack, and, like, it did, it was a little longer than I thought it would be, but I just felt like those details were important, because... Truly. You know. There was, like, there was so much back and forth. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna take a sip okay. of my tea. Perfect. Okay, while you sip your tea, I have questions for you. Or observations. Yes. First of all, let's start with the glowworm. Okay. This please. humble This humble glowworm. glowworm. I my heart is breaking for the glowworm because he just wanted to go to the north. East. And the east, excuse me. Yes. And glow for all the people and do his very best and then everyone was like you're too dim it's not fucking enough wow i'm pissed I'm wrecked. he's so the most noble hero that i've ever heard of in my life and I agree. he's just shat on by everybody i really agree i i i really sad about the glowworm situation i think that's really uncool of the first people <sighs> i mean second of all Oh yeah. god. No, go go for it. I want to hear your thoughts on this cuz I loved this story when I read it. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And I'm kind of like you know, putting in my 
my editorial thoughts on these characters, but the story, but overall, I think the story is really beautiful, and I think it's, um, like, I, I'm having trouble articulating what it is that is so, like, beautiful and kind of majestic about especially creation myths, like, that's definitely my favorite category of mythology and of folklore is just kind of people's understand yeah people's understanding of how they got there and the fact that no matter you can pretty much look at any culture and there's a creation myth so everybody is trying to make sense of how we all got here and i think Mm -hmm. that's so cool yeah i do too Um, you know what else is powerful is first woman and putting this like she's just carrying this whole story on her back and first woman is dope like everyone is fucking up everyone is saying like first woman we asked you to do this thing and then complain about it and she's like whatever i'll just go do it again i guess yeah and she's powerful as shit she's making all these constellations and i like how she represents like the it all the insects and the birds and animals like i think that's pretty inclusive yeah we love that you know what I don't like is that I I think I just, like, ascribed Coyote the male pronoun. I don't think it actually you know, though, says I think... that he, or Coyote is a male, but I kept saying he, and I don't... There's, like, these, in the book, there's these little pictures, and it kind of looks like a more masculine body maybe that's why i said that but that's just that's not fair of me to do i cannot coyote you don't have to be gendered no one does but but in your defense i'm pretty sure that uh coyote or coyote i think pronunciation but um (laughs) i think i think he's most commonly depicted as male if i recall from other mythology classes and stuff like that yeah, and I'll have to read, um, I'm excited to read the rest of this book. Again, it's called Navajo Folktales by Frank Johnson Newcomb, because I think mm-hmm. um, this is sort of, this story was in the middle of the book, but it definitely prior talks about other origins of things and a lot more about first woman, first man, coyote, and all these, and fireman too, I think, is often featured. So mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. So, back however long ago these stories were kind of being passed down orally, I wonder what the conversation was like around these stories. Because, you know, you and I right now, we're kind of, I would say, taking an academic approach to discussing all this story and then all the stories that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And kind of analysis and opinion and, you know ascribing all these things to it but i wonder if back then it was i would imagine it was more uh the way that we would almost the way that we approach science as truth mm-hmm. for most mm-hmm. of us hopefully um <laughs> that's a different discussion um but i would imagine that the the conversation around these stories back then was more of just this is how it is yeah i wonder about it though right like what what that conversation was like. Maybe that's, I don't know, if anybody knows out there or has more insight on <laughs> kind of roles of oral tradition around. Yeah, we definitely didn't times. do our research extensively, so we would appreciate some help. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. 
But um, I guess I just wanted to ask kind of like uh, why among all the stories that you've, you know, you've read throughout your time, like what made this one jump out and like why did you choose this one to bring to the pod today? I think, well, like I said, I was kind of inspired because I just opened to this story when I was talking right. to you, right? But I think I just really liked it because, well, okay, again, Glowworm caught my attention immediately. <laughs> that was the that was the page you opened to. It was, is... and I was blown away when I saw Glowworm. Our tragic hero, <laughs> yeah. Um, I felt just, like, kind of humbled by it for some reason. Like, I felt... Mm. Man, I'm trying to get this out in a good, articulate way, but it's not happening. Whatever. Um, this, is, this isn't what the people come for. No. The art, being <laughs> articulate, I don't think. They just come to hear us babble. Um, and I just loved the aspect of that, like, as opposed to just, like... <laughs> I mean, okay, this might be a really ignorant comment, but, like, I feel like Jesus or God or whoever in the Christian tradition just kind of like made the universe was just like, bam, here it is. And there's not really a story or explanation (laughs) as far as I've been told. I don't know. There could be. Do you know? Well, I mean, there's the book of Genesis is the, um, the story of, (laughs) of creation, but I know what you mean. It's like there, it doesn't like, I think Genesis, like in the creation of the earth is like a page, right? Right. In, well, and so it it does kind of just go into, you know, and then God did this, and then God did this, and then God did this. And right. On the seventh day, he did this. But I see what you mean of how this goes more into the, the dynamic between different people or yeah, deities. And, and, and it's like, explaining a need for something to happen instead of just, oh, and then he made the universe. Right. It's like the first, yeah, it's like this interaction between, like, what the mortal people on the earth need, and yeah. it's this sort of interaction with higher power and like we need this and basically asking the universe and it giving you know and then like Mm. I just love how it describes the process of of creating these things like with the stone like how how just humbling is that like just finding a stone and creating a sun out of it and then I think we should back up for a second here too and so I guess this isn't strictly speaking a creation myth because I mean it's like mortal people and gods and animals are already there versus i don't know a a a by definition creation myth is like how everything sprang up right right but it almost i almost like like enjoy this more because like you said it's pointing to this reverence for the earth and treating the earth yeah as something that we should revere and has always been and always will be and everything else is kind of created from it yeah, I just feel like the earth was used almost like a magical tool. And the earth itself is seen as magical. And it was, in, in these stories, it was created before anybody or anything else was. And there was no necessary creation of the earth. It was just there. And so we need to treat her with respect. But yeah, so that's kind of what drew me to it. And... um I, I, yeah, I'm just, like, excited to, to learn more about, like, I think it's just really exciting to hear how other, or read how other cultures um, view the world and how they interpreted it. Yeah. Um, I just love, love hearing that. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> oh, okay, Wendy, I think I think it's your turn. I think my babbling okay. has gone on long <laughs> enough. Jesus. Okay. We'll move on to my first story then. And I know at the top of the episode, we kind of gave this whole spiel about, I know for me, and I think for you, from what we've talked about, Ashlyn, it's like when I think the word mythology, it's like Greeks and Romans, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I, those, the things, those are almost synonymous in my head for a long time anyway. Um, that being said, I am going to start with a Greek myth um, I'll move into another culture for my second story, but I do just love the extraness of Greek and Roman <laughs> mythology. Um, Ashlyn and I also took um, ancient Greek as a language in Jeez. college. Yeah. And so we got uh, quite a taste of how just extra the comings and goings of the Greeks were. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We got, we got a full, full oh, mouthful yeah. of it. Okay, so my story that I chose is one that I actually kind of like learned about recently from the movie Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like, I'm oh, not sure if you watched it, but you should it's on hulu it's Shoot. sick okay but that's not what we're here for today but anyway a, a lot of that film uh parallel it draws parallels to the story of orpheus and eurydice and it goes like this wait okay oh, so i'm so sorry to ruin that beautiful transition but i just want to clarify is the <laughs> is is the i was flowing bro I'm I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm gonna cry. I feel like glowworm. No. <laughs> oh. Okay. Okay. Well, just a quick question. question. Quick question. Is yes. the is the movie like a reinterpretation of like the story, just in a modern way, or is it just like hinting at it? For sure, it's um, I it, I guess you'd call it like a like Orpheus and Eurydice is a frame tale for it because it's about. Okay, I guess we're just going to talk about uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire for a second. It, it'll enrich the story, okay? Um, <laughs> so it's about, uh, it's, I guess it would be kind of like the Regency. It has like Pride and Prejudice vibes, mm. so like that era of period piece, right? And it's a, a love story between Marianne, who's this French painter, and she's uh, commissioned to paint Eloise um, for, she's about to be, married off to some guy in Milan and Uh so her mom hires Marianne to be like okay if we're gonna send him a portrait of my daughter and if he likes the portrait then um he'll marry her (laughs) yeah but then Eloise she just got pulled from a convent and so she's like ew fuck no I don't want to marry this guy and so she refuses like she keeps like refusing to sit for these for painter after painter after painter um but then, until, so then her mom, oh. until Marianne, her mom hires her and she's like, you need to paint her in secret. Mm. Like, I told her that you're just here to go on walks on the beach with her. With no consent? Oh, um, Pissed. But yeah, so they keep doing this and lo and behold, they fall in hot period piece love <laughs> with each other. Sounds like a great It's so movie. good. It's, please watch it. It's so good. But anyway, so they actually read the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Mm. 
So it's like explicitly told within the story and they talk about it. Like a motif. Exactly. And so then their story and their romance kind of par- comes to parallel it in a lot of ways. But and but they, they're in on it. They kind of, at different <laughs> moments, they kind of can look at each other and go like, oh shit, this is just like the story okay. <laughs> type of deal. Okay. And they reference it to each other and stuff like that. Okay. It's just, I, I love that shit. I love that. It's <laughs> so good. But yes, so I became aware of the actual Greek that that prompted me to look into okay, the, the Greek okay. story Got it. more. Um, and but it, yes, so and it goes go like this, and it goes like this. <laughs> okay, now we're back. All right, so Orpheus and Eurydice. So again, Greek tale. Orpheus is the son of Apollo, and he plays. I think it's pronounced Lyre, L Y R E. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go with that. Sorry, everyone. Um, Orpheus is a musician, he plays the lyre, and he's known throughout the land as being just the most magical musician, and he shreds on the lyre like no one's ever (laughs) shredded before. Um, And so that's who he is. He falls in love with this woman named Eurydice, and they are together, they're happy for a long time, um, living their lives, playing music, etc., etc. But then one day, one fateful day, um, Eurydice, there's different versions of the story is my understanding, but whatever gets her here, she's playing in the forest with, uh, the forest nymphs. Ooh, I've always wanted um, to do so, that. Honestly, yeah. So basically she goes into the woods and plays with Yumi and, and Ava. Okay, yeah. Um, forest nymphs. But then she is bitten by a snake. <gasps> no. We'll go into this whole other discussion someday about the um, the mythology of snakes oh. because they're fucking everywhere. Right. But a snake bites Eurydice and she just drops immediately. She is dead. She's dead. Oh, and she drops dead. She's yeah. She's fucking dead. Fuck. Like, <laughs> man. She checks out after the snake bites her. Okay. And she gets pulled into the underworld. Oh. Orpheus, of course, is he is like this soft leer playing boy. <laughs> And so he is so he is devastated, right? And he is playing just the most emo sad music on his lyre all of a sudden. <laughs> Everybody across the land comes to know of Orpheus and his despair and oh, we're devastated. <laughs> Man. Okay, so again at this point, um there's different versions of it. Like some say that his father encourages him to do this. Um some say that, you know, other people like other people give him the idea or he comes up with the idea himself. But whatever it is, he says, you know what? Gotta go get my woman. And so he makes his way down to the underworld, the, the realm of Hades. Shit. Um, ooh, we, I, okay. Another thing I love, just Hades. trope wise, is hate. Fuck. I love Hades. I do too. But God, he's I bet he's dope. hot. I, and you know he's hot. <laughs> he's got, Okay. Anyways, okay, okay. anyways, we'll, we'll return to that point, put a pin in that. But anyway, so <laughs> our man's Orpheus, he goes down to the la- the underworld, the land of Hades, and he's searching for Eurydice. So um, there's different, again, based on different versions of the tale, he does different things. He, you know, shreds his lyre for um, Cerberus, I think it is, and like, 
gets him on his side and he's just like he's on this like grand quest through the underworld and he's protected by the gods because they've heard of how devastated he is and they want to protect him so he he's got everything on his side and he makes his way through the underworld and he rolls up to hades and his wife persephone who also have an equally hot and yeah, you know, you know like myth yeah maybe some other day we'll get into them but he goes to them and he you know, he plays his lyre and he tells them the story of his love for Eurydice and I'm so devastated that she's gone. I would do anything to have her back. And so Hades says, okay. Oh. Um, in that voice, exactly. Yeah. He says, cool, I hear your plea. Um, I have Eurydice, we have Eurydice <laughs> in the underworld and I can give her back to you. But here's what you need to do, Shoot. sir. A quest, Shoot. a condition. So he says, okay, the, there's a system of caves and tunnels that leads back into the land of the living. All right? I'm going to give Eurydice back to you, and you're going like, to make your way to the caves, and you can walk out into the sunlight with her. But the only condition is you need to trust that she's behind you, and you cannot look back at her and check <sighs> until you're out. Fuck. Okay. So he says, easy, great. I'm a patient, soft, uh, lover boy musician, right. man. Let's do it. This is going to be easy. So he takes off into the dark of these caves and, you know, the shadow of Eurydice is theoretically behind him and he charges off and he's like, great. Okay, we're going to be together again. But as he makes his way through the tunnels, he starts to kind of falter and lose faith. And he's like, oh God, did did Hades lie to me? Mm. Was there a trick? Is she actually behind me? Is she actually going to be able to like come out with me? It all felt too easy. And so he starts to kind of falter. So literally, Ashlyn, literally with his hand on the door, no! living, no. our man's Orpheus turns around fucking to check me? if Eurydice is behind him. And he watches her get <gasps> sucked back into the underworld no. because he broke you the condition idiot. and turned around to look at her. Are you fucking with me? <laughs> so he steps out into the land of the living empty handed and he's back. That's he's back to being emo and devastated. And basically for... You know, he goes on as long as he can, but then he plays one last banger of a tune on his lyre, basically begging for death. Oh. And, you know, based on some stories, these beasts come out of the forest <laughs> to put him out of his misery. Another version says Zeus strikes him down yeah. from heaven, but he dies wow. to be with Eurydice in the underworld. Um, a last very metal... Um, <laughs> addition or uh epilogue to the story is that you know once he's dead the world is like so absent of his beautiful music that the muses decide to cut off his head <gasps> let the rest of him die so that his head can keep on singing uh, for uh, the rest of eternity <laughs> smart. and that is the tale of orpheus and eurydice <laughs> i love that wow i love that okay Just. so what do you when you Okay, let's just start with, first of all, I've been holding on to this. Do you know who 
if there was a movie, play, or something, porn, film, I don't know, about Hades. All of the above. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. Robert Pattinson. Who would I want it to be? Robert. Robert pa- Hades. <gasps> Hades. Robert Pattinson. Oh, my. I would that thought not at this point. Oh, my. Be. That would slap. At this, at this point in my life, I thought that I would be over, like, tall emo boys, like, no. in my affinity for that. But he... He I'm speechless at just at the thought of that. No, I know. That's oh all that God. needs to be said. I don't know who, like, could be... Who's Persephone? Kristen Stewart. Uh, no! Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. I'm not a I, fan. Okay. I'm not a fan. I, I, I kind of am. I mm. feel like both of them got such a bad rap. Yes. She is, she is stunning, and she's... At, like, I think she could actually be good I in just something other than twilight like her acting like yeah she's stun like she's stunning but like she's just really i don't think she's- uh, edward okay Anyways. i was just trying to be messy with that choice then but i uh, respect okay who would we cat <laughs> who would we cast in all of this story persephone like persephone needs to be like she's like a a beautiful like fertility um <laughs> harvest goddess yeah so we need we need someone new probably new and fresh we need i don't know if i would maybe maybe we just like get the real persephone to come up yeah and just like play her own part i think that's the only one who can do it yeah every so we'll have everybody play themselves except for hades as robert pattinson because we know that hades would be an absolute zaddy and we would just crumble if we saw what he actually looks like true that's very true okay yeah now that that's established tell me what what you loved about this particular story Mm -hmm. okay well i have i mean going back to kind of the the frame tale and how i was introduced to it of portrait of a lady on fire right i think to be totally transparent a lot of my thoughts about the story are kind of were planted by their interpretation of it in the movie Mm. um and the the thing that they kind of pointed to is like the question of why did he turn around like fuck dude you were so close you just had to step through and it would have been fine like and so the question is why'd you do it man like why you were so close and what they said in the film like the two characters in that i that i resonate with and i i like yeah you know is the point that one of them made is that he made not the lover's choice, but the poet's choice, you know, oh. like rather than like, it's, it's kind of this idea of the memory and the, the pain that came of this love is sweeter and more intense than the love itself. Mm. And so he chooses the memory of her versus what they actually could have continued to have. Interesting. And I think that's so hot. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> that's Just sexy like, as I, hell. It's that's fucking hot. Like, I don't know. I I think in stories and then mythology like Greek and Roman mythology is just rife with this shit. 
just like this tragic, painful, yeah. romanticized, painful love. Yeah. Like for sure. Oh, like I just want to be wrecked like that. I really don't. <laughs> Scott, please, turn if we're ever in this situation, don't fucking turn around. Like <laughs> walk into the please. sunlight. PSA, but, no, like, if you're ever in this situation, <laughs> just know that a continued life with this person will be better than the memory of them, please. Just, God. But, so let's, let's, that's the reality of it. But why I, I'm so attracted to the story is just, like, in, for whatever reason, in lit, in film, in mythology, I'm just, I'm really attracted <laughs> to these kind of, these tragic characters. Romances. Okay, yeah. doomed romances specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. I, just, I love that. I like. I really do like that thing, story. <laughs> wow. Does that teach us anything? What's What's the biggest takeaway besides don't open the door? Hmm. I mean, don't, uh, don't look behind door. you. Yeah. I, I think that's probably, like, the, the central lesson of it. It's just, like... Or that I would take away anyway is that like you know, the the requirement of faith and patience for love mm. to survive. Mm. You know. Okay. Yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I, I guess that would be one. Do you do you have any <laughs> thoughts? I don't think on this whole thing. At first, I you know, I'm sort of like not doing so hot with articulation. So I think. <laughs> I would just say I agree. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. With that, I think it's time for story number three. Okay. And I figured since, you know, my long ass story in the beginning would probably take me a long time to get through, I chose kind of like a shorter little myth that I'm going to kind Ooh. of zip through quickly that um, I was first introduced by in Greek class, not... Greek like mythology and culture literally ancient Greek language mm-hmm. I had to translate this story in Greek <laughs> and um I had to look it up on the internet cuz uh I didn't think I translated it right at the time like so. we did not learn a fucking thing in Greek <laughs> We've we've talked about this a lot where it's like truly like I think I we each took what like three quarters so a whole year of Greek yeah and by truly my last day in that class I would he would call on me and I'd still be like what what do you want me I to don't say, know bro? like yeah I don't know it you know I don't know it right like, sorry for the okay what I can do is for the people I can read the first line in ancient. Greek. Please, I was just about to ask because Greek is the funniest sounding language out loud. Okay. Maybe the first line's kind of short. I may have to, I may go with the second one, but give me, okay. Shit. Why did I like subject myself to this? Give us an ex- excerpt. Okay. Oh, Zeus, Philae polas theas kai de kai ten thetin. O thetis estin a. Oh God, what's that word? We're right back in. Shit. Okay, that's right it. Now. That's all you get. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember any of the words besides Zeus? Oh yeah. Okay, so it says, O Zeus, 
Um, Zeus loves all of the goddesses, especially Thetis. Thetis? I've never heard of her. Yeah. She's a uh, sea nymph. Ooh. Yes. Love me a sea nymph. Yeah. Just nymphs of all kinds. I know. Honestly. Gotta love a nymph. So basically, the story continues, and what happened was uh, the Eris, who is the goddess of discord, um, was really, really pissed that she got, like, I don't know if she was not invited to begin with or she was uninvited, but basically Mm -hmm. she didn't have an invitation to the wedding of King Peleus or Pelus or I don't know how to say his name correctly. But this is your story. Say it however you want. Hey, Pelis. Pe- it just doesn't sound King Pelis. King Peleus. Um. Anyways. Um. Didn't get to go to the wedding of King Peleus and the sea nymph Thetis, and so, out of spite, she threw this golden apple onto the banquet table, and it was like labeled, like literally for the fairest um so she like threw this uh, you know the golden apple sort of represents like temptation or whatever so she threw it on the table to watch the chaos that ensues and so um basically three different goddesses claimed the apple um as you know being like they are the fairest and it was Hera Mm -hmm. who's goddess of marriage Athena goddess of uh wisdom and aphrodite goddess of love and zeus basically like likes all of them so he was like (laughs) i can't choose and so then he passed on the um decision to the trojan prince paris and so um Basically, Hera and Athena tried to bribe him with, like, I'll make you the most powerful and, like, you'll be, like, a war hero or whatever. But Aphrodite, smart bitch, comes in and is, like, offering the most beautiful woman to Paris, which is Helen of Sparta. And so (gasps) she's, like, just take Helen. Like, she's just, you know, I offer you love with Helen. So Paris captures and... Uh, Helen abducts her and she becomes Helen of Troy and that is how the Trojan War begins. Yo! Yeah! It's kind of a cool little little story there. I did not expect that tie-in at the end! Yeah! Right? So... Okay. So, you know, I wanted... I, I did specifically pick something kind of shorter to get through but um i just i think i had a, a connection with it because i spent like 18 hours trying to translate it and then i just kind <laughs> of liked the idea of like i always like stories about the goddesses specifically and all the trouble that mm. they cause and like all these stupid <laughs> men just like ooh, like i want that beautiful woman and just start a war because of it and Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely ridiculous, and I just like the idea, like, one of my favorite things about mythology is just, like, the absolute ridiculousness of just, like, they just really wanted a fucking golden apple, and they were like, no, it's mine, yeah. it's mine, it's mine, it's like, 
I like totally breezed over that. Like the it it literally was just a golden apple. Yeah. Like it wasn't. Um, I don't think it had like um any like special powers or something. Like it literally yeah. was described as a golden apple with like a note on it that said like for the fairest. And so I think their sort of vanity was this Ooh. driving force of like, well, it's me, it's me, and then yeah, Aphrodite came in with that sick move. And knew that, like, men just follow their dicks and was just, like, just take this beautiful woman <laughs> and started a fucking war. So it's just, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I just like it. I'm just going to. That's it. Yeah. I just like it. Okay. That's all. That's, that's all. That's all there's to it. Okay. I we talked earlier about the you know, the ever presence of snakes and serpents. Yeah. But apples. Yeah, apples. And like, I think, you know, I think a lot of people associate um, like Garden of Eden with the apple, like temptation, whatever. But there is a lot of apple. Well, actually, I don't know if there's a lot of of apple. um, There's at least one more. But there's at least (laughs) one story with this golden apple. Um, So... Throwing out an unpopular opinion, apples, not the best fruits. Mm, I agree. I never buy apples because mm-hmm. I don't really care for them. I like... I Yeah, yeah. They're great, but I don't know. What is the best Getting fruit? Getting thrown out of the garden for them? I don't know. This, this is, is a whole other episode. Okay, forget it. But okay, a- apples, interesting, the symbols that uh, make it into so many different cultures. Yes, um, very interesting. Apples, snakes, etc. Um, also, I have to say, would be remiss not to mention how, as you, as soon as like we took the turn into the story of Troy and the, the Trojan War, immediately started picturing the cast of uh, <laughs> Troy, of Brad, David Benioff's Troy, yeah, um, yeah, Orlando Bloom as Paris. Sublime. 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 I don't remember. Diane do Kruger, they beautiful? Do they like do? Did they represent like this story at all in the movie? I can't remember. No, that's why oh, it was interesting. Okay, okay. They start. They start. Ju- they don't make any reference to like gods actually being present. They talk about them, but they're not like characters. Right. Oh, that's true. And then yeah, they pretty much just open with the war um, starting. Pe- Paris and Helen are already in love oh, okay. off camera. This has already been decided. So it's like Eric Bana, who plays Hector and Paris, <laughs> they like go visit. Um, she's married to Agamemnon, I think. Uh-huh. Or Agamemnon's brother, I think. But anyway, so they visit and then she runs away with him back to Troy and that's where the movie <laughs> kind of starts. Yeah. Also, like, I remember reading the Greek version, and it literally repeats, like, several times how much all the gods hate Eris. Paris or Eris? Eris, the goddess. Eris, the goddess of discord. They're all just, like, <laughs> they all hate typical. her, and they don't want her at the wedding. That's why. Isn't that ridiculous? they know that she's messy and is going to call them out on all their shit. Exactly. Like... Classic fucking classic. Fuck. Fuck them. <laughs> okay. Team Eris over here. Let's continue yeah. with your last story so that we can wrap up this uh, whole episode. 
Okay, yes. So now we are going to move away from uh, Greeks, Romans, that kind of world, um, into Vietnam. Um, For those of you who don't know, I think many of you do, I am half white and then half Vietnamese. My mom is from Vietnam. Um, And so, but then it's like growing up, she was kind of, you know... I think looking to assimilate um, into kind of American culture. And so we grew up, me and my brothers, we grew up very Americanized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it did, it honestly, unfortunately, never occurred to me like to kind of look into um, like Vietnamese folklore mm. and that whole culture. But then we took, um, I think, Ashlyn, this is the same class that you took like a quarter later or something. Mm-hmm. But I took a I took a mythology class that um, shared this uh, Vietnamese creation myth. And it kind of like opened me up to the world of like, oh, wait, like how come I never like thought, like amongst all the other right. cultures I know that have like- You didn't look into your this own. This <laughs> rich folklore. Yeah, exactly. And so it was kind of eye-opening just to see that like, oh, like there's this whole world of, of a culture that I share and that I could right. look into. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's special to me for that reason, and so I wanted to share the the creation Yay. myth and that um, I learned in that class, which goes like let's say it together okay. like, like the, oh. this. Shit. <laughs> that was perfect. Okay. okay, all right. So this is the story of Alco and Lack Dragon. Um, so we start off at the beginning of kind of the creation of the sun and the moon. <gasps> Funny enough, Whoa. tie back okay. to your story. Um, so, lack birds. Um, <laughs> we're going to be referring them to a lot. So it's like these white crane-looking birds okay. that you see in a lot of like different like artwork and a bunch of different Asian cultures. But okay, so this this majestic lack bird <laughs> flies down from the sky and lays two eggs on the earth, a red and an ivory. Ooh. Thousands of years later. Those two hatch and they become the sun and the moon. Oh, um, yeah, I love that. So, yeah, so that's how the sun and the moon are made. Um, but that is not the focus of our tale, believe it or not. What happens <gasps> from there is that I think I read it was the 36th layer of heaven, so hella high in heaven. There is Alco and her sisters, and they are the goddesses of this realm of heaven, and they. She draws back the curtains of their house on the mountain where they live, and she sees the light of the moon and the sun, which have just been created. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that looks sick. Let's go check it out, ladies. <laughs> and so she and her gang of her sisters, they transform themselves into lack birds, and Ooh. they fly down to the earth, which is like, newly been illuminated by the sun and the moon and they basically throw down and they dance on the earth and they're grooving just vibing grooving having a good time um and they're like they they go into a lot of detail of like this earth that they're standing on it's just like the most like pristine (laughs) nice dirt not crumbly dirt no hell no it's great. And so Alco, our, our hero, she observes this and she's like, wow. And so she scoops up a handful of this dirt and she's like, oh, 
sublime. The earth is great. And she like smells it and it smells so good. And she... Wait, this is what I do like every morning. Yes. (laughs) And maybe you do this every morning too. But she's like, oh, this looks so good. This smells so good. This feels so good. I bet this would taste so good. Oh, heck yeah. And so she swallows this fistful of the earth. (laughs) that she that was so good and it's and it's great she's like yes amazing um so she tastes the earth this story is actually called a taste of Earth. oh um in the specific anthology that i read it in but um yeah so they're once they're done grooving she and her sisters they like try to turn back into birds and her sisters fly away but she can't she can't turn back into a bird she can't fly away and she realizes, like, or I think her father comes down and tells her something like that. But because she has tasted the earth, uh, she has to stay there forever. Nuts. And so nuts, honestly. And she is so, like, despite the earth being so beautiful, she's devastated that she can't return home. And so she sits down and she cries. Oh. Cries and cries and cries. She cries a whole ass river. Oh. Um. She, she cries herself a river that runs into the sea, and it is noticed by the sea dragon, the dragon prince, Black, Black dragon. dragon. He has many names. Yes. Ooh. And so it's this sexy dragon prince, <laughs> and he emerges from the sea, oh, which is his kingdom, and he says, why are you crying, baby? <laughs> and she tells him the whole story. And, you know, he becomes just immediately taken with her and just wants to protect her and et cetera, et cetera. So he's there and he's there to comfort her. And as they're kind of like talking and walking around, they notice that everywhere that like alongside the river where she that she's cried up, life is starting to spring up like plants and grasses and, you know, this otherwise kind of barren earth like has suddenly life and vegetation alongside this river that she cried so they're like whoa and then this part of the story like they don't go into too much detail but um (laughs) you know put a dragon and a bird together what do you get (laughs) eggs she (laughs) they're they're walking along the earth together and falling in love and um she lays and specifically an egg sack that hatches um 100 like little children wow like she's kind of like humanoid and so they're like uh, so they're humanoid baby boys and girls 100 of them (laughs) and they're like can they swim i hope so it's i that's a great question, actually. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, maybe swimming included, but um, they have these children now, and so um, Alco, like, teaches them basically how to survive on the Earth. Like, she teaches them um, how to swim, hopefully. I mean, their dad's a, their dad's a sea dragon, That's what I'm asking. surely. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, he's got it. Come on. Um, she teaches them how to, like, turn... The, the vegetation that has grown from her river, like how to turn that into food. Nice. She actually receives a vision that tells her how to make fire wow. and she passes that knowledge down to them. They're just vibing. They're living life. Everyth- and, you know, as she's kind of teaching what are the first humans, 
um, how to live on the earth. Like, she comes to love the earth, and she's, like, not sad anymore about not being able to return to heaven, and life is great. Um, and so she stays on earth and continues to teach them. But then, sadness, um, Lack Dragon's father, the Dragon King, comes back up from the sea, too. You know, that's too. bad news. I know. Like, dad's coming on, or, like, bad news? I know. Like, come on. Um, so he says, um, you know, I forget if, I forget if it's his father himself or like a representative of his father, but basically he's delivered the news that your father has passed his time ruling the sea kingdom is over. You need to return to the sea from whence you came to take his throne. And he says, shit. Alco, it's been real. What? He ditches her for power? Yeah. He dips. He goes back and see. And she's sad, but... She's got her kids. Queen shit that she is. She stays with her kids. She continues to teach them and stay on the earth. And that is how humans were brought onto the earth. Lovely. I love that story. Me too. I think you win storyteller of the year especially this of the day podcast um <laughs> i love how it's like a very like kind of matriarchal viewpoint yeah and we have a lot of creation from women and even like birth itself you know just like a very womanly feature yeah. of birthing eggs and egg sacs and stuff like that's pretty mm-hmm. cool and i like how like, when you described her eating the dirt, it's, like, a whole new meeting to, like, eat dirt. Like, when you tell someone, like, eat dirt. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I fucking will. And I'll be, like, the goddess of the universe. Yeah, I will literally spring life onto this earth. And cry rivers because that's just what I do. So, yeah, I will eat the dirt. <laughs> Thanks. God, it just resonates so deeply with that image. I know. I love that. And I love how there's just, like, these sisters, like, all these women are just, like, dancing, like, turning the fuck up onto this, like, on the yeah. land. And they're just, like, I just like every aspect of this story. I think it's fantastic. Can we, can we do that? Like, literally, like. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about it in, like, the Orpheus one. But let's just, like, let's grab Ava. Let's grab grab them the goddesses in our lives and let's Damn. go down and boogie in the, the forest heck yeah we gotta do Just, that bro i love the earth i love <laughs> i know i want to eat the dirt like i really do that was sounded like a wonderful experience um i mean besides just how all the great scenes and imagery uh, what, I mean, is there something else you want to share about, like, why you chose a story besides, you know, just culture-wise, but just, what does it say to you? Just give us one hmm. summing up, like, any morals, lessons, ideas. Give us something hmm. juicy. I, I think, well, the main, the main answer to the question for me is, again, just, like, you know, the personal interest of, you know, being able to feel like I have some sort of tether to my cultural background. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this was my first introduction to like, oh shit, like, no, there's this whole world that you can take it upon yourself to to learn about and to be, you know, a carrier of that history. Um, 
so that's that's the main reason for me but as far as um you know the story itself i think it is kind of what we touched on which is just reverence for the earth um again it's just kind of like in it's told in that image of her tasting the earth of just being so appreciative how beautiful and fruitful right fragrant and great it is but then also like her sticking around like the whole story is just her and black dragon i mean he 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 got the call to go back home but we still we still love him we still love our dragon prince um it's all about like being a steward of the earth and like sticking around to like actually you know, learn and teach how to use the earth mm. and work with it to survive oh, and stuff. And I, I love that, I, I love that imagery because I feel like in, you know, other creation myths specifically that I've read, it's about, you know, the beautiful creation of the earth and of humanity is immediately followed by, okay, and then they fucked it up and then here yeah. comes the flood and stuff. But instead this was just about like, it stopped on the note of, carrying on teaching and and i i kind of love yeah i love that and i i also appreciate you know when she cried a river something literally grew from her pain almost yes like i love that symbolism of um like vegetation growing from her her emotion like her pain literally just because of the the tears make the river and i just oh it's just such a beautiful way to to think about things that's why i love myths in general and just stories like this because just like i feel relaxed (laughs) i just feel like (laughs) yes you know like they're just so to the humbling i would say and bear with me here it makes me feel the way I felt watching Interstellar for the first time. <laughs> like, Fuck. I can't just kind of with that caught, movie. I know, just caught in the largeness of something. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, I think that's, I, I definitely, like, I feel what, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. Um, yeah, and then I think it also, it, it likens back to our conversation about witchcraft, weirdly. Yeah, of, like the, or, like, green you know, witchery and how we interact with the yeah. earth connection with the earth and then also like i i sort of like talking about these stories made me miss or i mean i was never there but still missing out on the experience of like oral storytelling and having kind of like now we look at these tales as kind of like fantasy or magic or you know things like that they they're just stories but i miss you know letting that sort of mysticism and magic and spiritual storytelling be something that we take as truth yeah it's like it's the whole it's this whole idea of like letting magic exist in your life yeah storytelling is a way to do that oh wonderful wonderful and i think i would encourage like i think something you inspired me to do is look into my own culture's um creation myths and such um i think that's a really interesting place to start because you do have some attachment or ties with that and i would just encourage like all our listeners to kind of reach into their roots and dig up some some fun stories that you could even 
pass on to people around you, which is kind of the whole point. And so I'm so glad that we got to share these stories and chat about them. And if any of you also have suggestions of ones that you like, please feel free to comment or DM us. We would love that. We would love it. We would, I think specifically, we would love to know what your background is and if you have a story from your culture that you're particularly tied to. We would love to hear that. Yeah. And so with that, blessed be, folks. Just peace, love, and blessings to all of you. Thanks again for listening. And we'll catch you next time. We'll catch you next time on Before the Fern Dies. You've been listening to Before the Fern Dies. We upload a new episode every Tuesday, so we'll catch you next week. This episode was written and produced by Wendy Sigler and Ashlyn Higareda. Our theme song was written by Harrison Lee. All of the artwork for this podcast is by Wednesday Tran, who you can follow on Instagram at whaletran. That's W-H-A-L-E-T-R-A-N. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time.